Welcome to the Real Estate and Tax Talk podcast with your hosts, Ricky and Steve. Brought to you by Affiliated 1031. Welcome to Real Estate and Tax Talk. I'm your host, Ricky Guerrero, with my partner here, Stephen Green. We're real estate and tax attorneys who obviously specialize in real estate and tax. Here we talk about real estate and taxes, the game of gains. We're here recording the day after tax day, right? So I offer my condolences to anyone that has to pay tax. <laughs> that's a stroke of big but, myself. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's that's why we're here. We're learning, I mean, we're here to educate and teach everyone, you know, why is the tax code beneficial to people and why real estate and tax are intertwined to lead to, you know, that durational wealth, financial success, and how tax codes can be used to their benefit. We have a guest here today, uh, cool man, Mr. Ryan Cooley. He's an investor, seasoned investor, and then we, you know we want to get him on to learn some of his advice, some of his deals, and um, I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit, Ryan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I started in real estate about uh, 25 years ago. Um, wow, I'm almost 25 years old. Well, I was 25. Yeah, he was 25. When he graduated was, law school. I was 25 years before. Five years ago, I was 25 years old, not anymore. <laughs> well, really, I, I got my taste for real estate way before that. My grandfather, um, God rest his soul, was a little bit of a slumlord. Uh, but seeing him with the you know rental properties and building up a portfolio over years, he got out of the military. He was actually a lawyer as well. Um, and Lucky using his, his money, his retirement money to you know purchase rental properties, I would go in the summer times and help paint and that sort of thing. So it just kind of got me a taste for real estate and having that like passive income. Um, beginning of 2000s. Um, I actually grew up the same way. My dad was a real estate investor. Oh, really? So that's how I got into the business. My dad was uh, flipping houses. He used to be a franchise owner of We Buy Every Houses, the home investors down here. So when I was 13 years old, I used to go with him, help him fix houses. And then I got into real estate because of him. And my mom's a mortgage broker for 30 years. Right. But I went the legal way because they told me to. And then that's how I got into it. <laughs> Generational <laughs> influence. I mean, that's, that's, that's important. So... Um, I started a company in early 2000s, um, Urban Life Design Group. Uh, we were obtaining um, home ownership opportunities for uh, families of low income, and uh, things were going really well until um, the, the crash of 2007 and 8. Uh, that's when I lost absolutely everything, uh, went bankrupt, and I had $997 in my bank account. Uh, I was actually living uh, downtown. I was doing... Um, uh, an affordable project at Havana Lofts on 6th and Flagler. And luckily, one of the developers, because they were losing the building to foreclosure too, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But he signed a 12-month lease for me, so I had a place to live because I didn't have any money at that time. So I got started again. I, I, you know, After about six months of feeling sorry for myself and not wanting to look in the mirror, and, um, I finally you know, picked myself up, got back out there, put my realtor's hat on because I was licensed, you know. And um, started finding, you know, some foreclosure properties for a couple of investors just to make some ends meet. Um, started building things back up. Um, found the Broward Real Estate Investors Association. I'd never heard of ARIA until 2009 or 10, Real Estate Investors Association, but which I'm president of the National Real Estate Investors <laughs> Association now. So, um, but I found uh, that, that company and they, that group, they um, uh, were out of Plantation, Florida. And they had a mentor program to teach you how to wholesale and invest and buy and holds and 1031 exchanges and all kind of different stuff. So I learned in their mentor program, uh, became the top student in their mentor program, 
and then became successful enough to buy all the companies from my mentors. Um, I developed also the Miami-Dade Real Estate Investor Association, um, built those to the two largest RIAs in the United States, um, had about the most successful mentor program in real estate investing from 2012 or 13 until a couple of years ago, and um, sold that company. I now own Florida Homeowner Solutions, uh, and we strictly um, you know, help homeowners that are facing foreclosures, um, probates. I do a lot of probates with Steve, so... Yeah, a lot, a lot of death, man. Death and taxes in the show. Listen, man. as one of my favorite national speakers said one time, you know, we're in God's waiting room. You know, this is Florida. So <laughs> as morbid as that sounds, you know, it's the life cycle. I try to tell people, hey, grandma was ready to go. She was 93 years old. Okay, She lived a <laughs> long time. You know, we only hope to live that long, yeah. you know. So uh, but hopefully they, they, they did it the right way and had a will and had everything set up, you know, properly for taxes and all that kind of stuff, because that obviously ties into uh, probates and taxes and real estate. So. That's where I'm at today is just, you know, getting getting a little bit closer to, to retirement um, and, uh, you know, mostly investing in real estate. Right now, I'm positioning more. I've been doing the single family market. And so now I'm going to be positioning more for more multifamily because uh, that's really what, you know, what I want to retire on. Find some multifamily rentals, um, you know, get those properties uh, um, so where I'm, I've got them paid off and convert them to condos at some point in time, act as the bank and uh really just sit back and collect checks i mean that's the name of the game right yeah. i mean living the dream man that's, <laughs> that's where i want the game it's just yeah. learning how to play it right yeah and, and those who have experience and knowledge know how to play the game so that's what we're here for right? and that's the most important thing i think is is knowledge you know it's it's interesting right. being in real estate for you know the last 25 years um you know having people around me that you learn certain things from i mean even doing probates with this guy i've learned things that i didn't know about right. probates doing them before so, you know, when you surround yourself with the right people and having the right knowledge, and that's, that's the key, you know, it's, it's, that's the real secret is, it's, it's not, it's not the secret sauces itself, you know, it's, it, to us, it's like common knowledge and right. how to do real exactly. estate, but yeah. to someone else yeah. on the outside, they're like, oh, I want to learn your secrets. It's like, it's not really secrets. You just need to learn it and then practice it. And do right. It. That's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Trial and error, man. Yeah. yeah. You don't, you don't know what you don't know until you do it. So 100%. yeah, I think in trial and error, that's interesting because I, when I teach and mentor people in real estate investing. Um, you know, I tell them that mistakes are, are your friend. Mistakes are something that not only do you have to go through to learn from, right. but you have to earn your place at the investor's table. If you've never lost any money before, you're not a real investor, yeah. right? So, you know, that, that, I think that's, that's, you know, knowledge is, is probably just, you know, more the most important thing um, when you're looking at, at, at investing in anything, but especially if you're going to be doing real estate, you really you need, you need to learn. Yeah, you need to learn. And, and using the tax code to your benefit is really how you become the next step investor, right? The problem is most people don't get to live, you know, like me and you, where we were brought up by parents who are in the real estate industry right. investors. Uh, I, I don't think your parents were, right? No, not at so, all, man. So Steven got into this because he went to law school because he's a nerd. And then he went to get his <laughs> master's in yeah. tax law, which he's also a nerd for doing an extra year of law school. But then he got into the real estate stuff with me and then within his practice. So he kind of went into it. But if you're not and you're just someone with a day-to-day -day job or someone that's right. trying to learn a little bit yeah. about real estate, you know nothing about yeah. it. You know nothing about mortgages. You know nothing about encumbrances. You know yeah. nothing about 1031 exchanges, yeah. how to defer taxes. And those are all huge tools to be able to use to become you know, financially free, right? Yeah. And I have to work that night to five if you want. Yeah. I have the option at least. Yeah. So you told uh, us earlier that you are doing a lot of foreclosures. So Stephen told me you're the foreclosure guru. And he's the king, man, the king of the foreclosures. Well, I, we actually call them pre-foreclosures because I get to them before they actually get to the auction to become an REO. Okay. Um, I, I've well, what's, done, a, what's an REO? 
Well, real estate owned. Yeah. And we're still, I know that. We're still looking for the guy that came up with that acronym because it makes no sense. We want to smack the crap out of this guy, you know? So what's, but, the, what's the process like that you do? So, well, let's say, you know, a homeowner, you know, obviously when they start to default on their mortgage um, and uh, whether they've lost their job or, you know, medical reasons, whatever the situation is. And for layman's is, terms, defaulting on your mortgage is missing payments. You're missing payments. Right. And, and obviously, you know, uh, uh, what a, a lot of people have seen, um, you know, especially since the crash of the market before and we're starting to get into it now, it's not necessarily where somebody just loses their job. Sometimes it's where they have adjustable rate of mortgage where their payment was $1,400, but now after three years, they didn't read the fine print in their mortgage and their, their payment's now gonna go up to like $2,200. And they what's, can't afford what's, it. Uh, what's an adjustable rate mortgage? So adjustable rate mortgage is where if I'm a mortgage broker, I can get you into this house for this $1,400 right now. Mm. And you don't really care. Most homeowners, when we buy cars and houses, people don't really give a shit what the price as is. As long as they can get so what's the monthly payment. Yeah, yeah, I afford this on a monthly basis, right. you know? So, um, so people get that monthly payment. They don't pay attention that the, the, the rate of the mortgage, your interest rate is going to change. Oh, it adjusts. I, it's going to adjust. It's going to, it's going to increase. Now in the notes business, when that note mortgage is created, right? When somebody buys a house, that's going to be sold, right? You know, uh, and so having an adjustable rate of mortgage as a mortgage broker, there's an incentive for them to sell more of those because they make more money doing those. They get paid a higher commission on those, right? Than just doing a traditional FHA, first time home buyers, you know, or doing a, a VA, you know, a veteran's Medical. loan. Yeah, right. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what really got us into trouble in the first place and the, and the crash of the market. So when I came back into real estate again, um, wholesaling and getting into the pre-foreclosure market, that's when all of these homeowners, you know, in the United States, millions of people were, you know, not making their payments. Um, a lot of them were adjustable rates of mortgage. So a homeowner stops making payments in about 90 days, which is the prescribed time that uh, the, the, the lender or the servicer that's servicing the mortgage will notify them and file the, the Liz Pendens, which is Liz Pendens is just Latin for notice of lawsuit, right? In this case, it's a foreclosure lawsuit. So they'll file that in the county um, clerk for whatever, you know, uh, county that the, that the property resides. And now officially that person is facing a foreclosure. They are in pre-foreclosure. They haven't been foreclosed on. Right. They haven't lost the house to a sit, you know, to the, the foreclosure process has started. The foreclosure process has started. And generally, you know, there's really only two ways of getting out of foreclosure. You either remodify your loan where you miss those payments and maybe the bank will work with you to remodify, lower the interest rate. Right. Um, now they're starting to extend that, you know, from a 20 or 30 to 40 year mortgage, wow. which is kind of dangerous to do. It's just crazy. Uh, or if you don't do that, then you sell the property. And that's where I come in. There's a, a, the majority of homeowners are not going to requalify for a loan modification. I mean, I, it's not to be heartless, but think about it. If you're the bank and I stop making payments on the mortgage and I'm like, yeah. hey, listen, come on, help me out. Just help me restructure this. I, I promise I'll start making Let payments. Let me remodify again. for you to be foreclosed on again. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It's a risk, right? Yeah, so, risk. they, you know, there's right now, there's less than 20% of all loan modifications being approved across the United States. Wow. So that means out of 100 homeowners that I talk to that are working on loan modifications, I got to tell about 80 of them, sorry, it's just not your time. Yeah. It's just not going to work out. But I'll buy it. But yeah, but I'll buy it. <laughs> the good news is I'll get you out of foreclosure, yeah. you know. For a price, uh, for a good price. Yeah, for a good price, you know. Well, and it, it, it's also interesting too because what I um, what I actually didn't know in the early 2000s, I had heard about short sales, but I wasn't really all that familiar with them. It's interesting because when I first got to the Broward Real Estate Investor Association, went to my first uh, networking meeting, a couple hundred people there, 
there was a guy I was introduced to and he was short selling boats. Because in the crash of the market, it wasn't just the houses yeah, people wanted to make payments on. Planes, boats, all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You know, people stretching themselves to those limits. Yeah. So he was short selling boats, which is where, you know, the value of whatever, if it's a piece of property or if it's a boat or a plane, the value is less than what they owe on it. Right. And that really kind of blows people's minds. Like, wait a second, you owe 480000 on your house, but your house right now is worth about two hundred and fifty. Because the roof, the AC, you bought this the thing market. 25 years ago. You haven't done anything to the house, you know? Um, so we, we predominantly um, find most homeowners without equity. Um, equity, obviously, is just the difference between what the property value is and what they owe. If they owe 300000 and the house is worth 200000 they're underwater. Yeah. If it's the other way around, they only owe 200000 but the house is worth 300000 they have equity. Right. Right. And the, the sad thing is, is that a lot of homeowners, they don't understand. There's not the knowledge, you know, we talk about this all the time. People, I see, you know, my nephews and, and kids getting out of high school and they know nothing about balancing a checkbook, opening, let alone buying a house, right. maintaining it, and the mortgage and the tax. They might not even know what a mortgage is at that point. Probably not. They probably yeah, don't. Yeah, this internet not. thing, man, it's uh, it, killing the youth. It is. It does. Killing it kills the youth. the youth. So, you know, so people don't even understand that your house isn't worth that. They're trying to remodify a loan on a house that they have a hundred you know thousand negative equity right why would you ever that's like me telling you okay when you bought this house i came to you the day before you bought it and said we'd like to increase the price to another hundred thousand is that okay with yeah. you <laughs> of course it would be you know yeah. that's not fair yeah so that's the mentality of it but it's i think of honestly a lot of my business uh, dealing with homeowners because i've i've you know i've done over uh, a little over 500 short sales at this time um, that doesn't include how many properties that we've purchased, getting people out of you know foreclosure if they have equity. But I've worked with thousands of homeowners because we, if a homeowner has equity in their home and they they look like they have a good shot of doing a loan modification, we'll help them for free and not and not ask anything of them. Right. Now, am I the patron saint of you know real estate <laughs> out there just giving it away for free? No, I'm not. But I am a good, you know, I, I like being. I think of myself as a good good person, and I I like trying to help people out. And I also know that. You know, if I help this homeowner keep their home when it was the right thing to do, they're going to refer me to their neighbors, right. their friends, or so word of mouth. Because, you know, they know they can trust me. Exactly. And if one of the person that they refer me to has equity and has a good chance of remodifying their loan and they're not going to get some adjustable rate of mortgage or something, then I'm going to encourage them to do the same. But it's just fortunate that, you know, 80% of those people won't be able to do it. So that's when we come in to make money. How do you see the short sale market right now? How, how's that changed lately? Well, that, that's a good question because um, actually uh, yesterday I had I have a data department at, at our company and and um, we pulled data from public record. Of course, uh, we have a couple national resources that we so use. Is that how you find? Is that how you find the the short sale? Yeah, that's how we find. So what we're doing really, what I teach people that the 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 essence of of my business is we're not looking for properties. As an investor, you don't ever go out and just look for properties. You look for motivated sellers. If a property that you really want, you know, it, it doesn't have a motivated seller, the person's like, yeah, I just bought this thing five years ago. I'm making all kinds of money on it. You're going to waste your time trying to buy that property. And you're going to pay a higher price. And you're going to pay a higher price. Right. When you find motivated sellers, you know, I've had, I've had people that, you know, unfortunately they were behind in their taxes and that's, you know, that's, that's major, right? This yeah. guy was getting ready to possibly go to jail if he didn't come up with the cash. And it's okay, though, we, we kind of, we love the IRS. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> In case we listen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when I pulled up to his house, 
I, I had to check the address again because I'm I'm looking and I'm like, this house is in pristine condition. I'm used to seeing caved in roofs, yeah, Firebird, you know, half the house. Because that's what you know. I mean, that's what you normally get in foreclosure. That's what, yeah, that's where you normally you get. get distressed properties or properties distressed properties have motivated sellers right. behind them, right? Because they can't live there any longer. Yeah. They try. It becomes inhabitable at that at yeah. some point. It becomes inhabitable. And it and so it's 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 that ideology that if you're looking at you know motivated sellers, not only are you in the market to to you know to get better deals but you're also creating win-win situations because every motivated seller said a distressed situation we're getting them out of that right. you know when we do probates with steve he knows that 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 family doesn't have the money to put up for probate not that he's expensive but you know, probate <laughs> is what it costs right yeah he's what it is it is what it is yeah. so so we put up the money for them we take the risk of doing that because at the end of the day if they didn't sell us the property Okay, you know, we can maybe file a notice of interest, cloud the title, so when they do sell it, they have to involve us. But I mean, you know, those kind of things are not easy to do. So, you know, we try to create those those win-wins. But back to your question, in the foreclosure market, uh, right now in um, Broward, Palm Beach, and Dade County, which are predominantly the, the tri-county areas where I do most of my business, I, I'm here in the best real estate market in the world. I don't know why. I have partners and, and friends that are investors, and they're like, oh, I'm buying properties and, you know, in, in Atlanta and all these kind of places. So I'm like, why? I, 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 yeah, I'm right Florida's here. It's like market. South Florida. It's like the hottest market. So they're right now. You got the women of, and the real estate. Yeah, exactly. As of yesterday, um, there are um, 12,734 active foreclosure cases in the Tri-County area. Wow, that's just three counties in South Florida. Three counties. Last year, this exact same time, there was 8,000. Wow. So you're talking about almost a, a 50% increase. Right. Um, and then what we look at too, because we market to those that are just receiving their notice of, of foreclosure, you know, that they're, they're in foreclosure. And it, it's scary because some of these homeowners that we call, I have a call center and, you know, my, my people reach out to them. We market, we direct mail, um, Facebook, social media ads, these kind of things. And the scary thing is that some people are like, I'm not in foreclosure. I'm like, uh, ma'am, I, I, I'm looking at the public record right now. I, <laughs> I give you the case. No, they don't even, like, they, they don't know. even know. And, and so sometimes, you know, that's the situation. But we reach out to people that are just, you know, receiving their notice of foreclosure lawsuit. We try to get that information as quickly as possible because we want to get to them because we know, number one, they have no idea what to do. I mean, zero. They, they didn't know much when they bought the house, let alone now they're in a foreclosure. Yeah, know. most people just care about getting the house. 100%. They don't care about how they got it. They don't care about the loan. They and don't they don't care. remember how they don't they care about it. taxes. Yeah, they don't They're care just about like, taxes. I like this house. Yeah. I want to live here. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. all that matters. So we, we track the data every, you know, every month of how many new Liz Pendens notice of foreclosure lawsuits are right. being filed in the court. And, uh, from January until now, January was, um, 568, I believe. And, uh, this month so far, we're only, what is it? April the 19th. 19th. Yeah, we're not even you know full the, the, through the full month. Um, we're already uh, over 708. Wow. Wow. So we're seeing that increase. So when people you know ask us what's going on with the market, we're seeing that increase of more and more people because what's happening is it's it's not just loan modifications. It's not just the fact of like COVID. People you know did lose jobs. People lost small businesses and those kind of things. But the reality is, is that all of the people that were getting loan modification, not all the people, but a majority of people getting loan modifications from the first crash in 2007 and 8, it's now a trickle effect because a lot of those people to get out of that and get loan modifications approved, they're on adjustable rates of mortgage. Yeah, I was just going to ask, so the, well, those arms are running out now, so it's time we to... We've never uh, learned. Yeah, we we never learned. Is. We didn't learn from the I mean, it was, it was a little 
big difference though in 2008. Major difference. It's not going to be. Yeah, it's a lot of fraud. From what we're heading to now, you know, people ask me, is it going to be a crash like 2007, 2008? No, it's not going to be that. I don't think we'll ever see something like that. Probably not. And you know, I mean, it depends. It depends upon what we you know come up with because now they're pushing the the 30-year mortgage to 40 years. I mean, yeah, but I think that the issue with 2008, which was when the real estate collapsed, that was just a lot of fraud, right? That was yeah. Yeah, you got a pulse and you got a mortgage. Yeah, fake tax returns, oh, fake pay stubs. Just that's the problem. Like yeah. you're saying, people just don't know what they're doing. They're just buying to buy. Yeah, Steven's actually buying a house now. Uh oh. Yeah, closing tomorrow. He closes tomorrow. Oh really? Can but, but I can I can afford my house hey. <laughs> <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah. Did you get an adjustable rate? No. Hell no. no. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I got I got a thirty year. Um, oh, always got, got, we got, we got friends in, in high places, you know, and, and banks and stuff. So they, they hook it up. Um, listen, I, I just want you to know if you run into any problems whatsoever, mate. Oh, you're, 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 you're my first <laughs> call. You can always right? sell to him. Don't you're, worry. You're I'm sure call. it's a really nice house too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, at least it's not in Fort Lauderdale. At least you didn't get flooded like in Fort Lauderdale. Oh. I mean, yeah. you know what's, you know what happened to me yesterday? Um, so you know how there's a gas issue in, in Miami and Fornadio because there hasn't been able to be deliveries. I'm well aware I was inside so, for 45 minutes yesterday. Okay, so yesterday, <laughs> yesterday I had about 20 miles left to empty. And I leave here, and I live in downtown. It's probably like 15, 20 minutes away. And I pass by six gas stations. They all have bags over them, no gas. Yes. I get home, zero gas mileage. I felt like a teenager because my parents had to bring me gas <laughs> and to my apartment in downtown. My dad, who's 62 years old, that little old, red tank comes with a five gallon red <laughs> tank. He's like, I bought your premium gas. You owe me this much of money. I'm like, dude, I felt like a 50 year old kid who couldn't drive. And my parents had to pick me up again. Well, Can let you me tell you something. Fee? Yeah. And, and this is all about opportunity. And this is in real estate too. It's all about, you know, different trends and things. I saw a guy at the gas station yesterday with a truck and he was filling up a bunch of, you know, little gas cans and something because he's going out there and finding people without their gas. You're like, I'll tell you what, I'll only charge you $15 a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> that's opportunity, right? Yeah, of course. Somebody has yeah. a problem, right? And he, he has a and fix it, right? And he has a solution. So same thing, you know, in, in real estate, whether it's a somebody's in foreclosure or, you know, an investor is getting ready to buy a large portfolio, they need a solution as to how to not pay so much in taxes, yeah, you know, of all those kind of different things. Yeah. You know, how to avoid those, how to avoid the capital gains. Like, it's always about, you know, the opportunity. One thing creating something, you know, a, a solution for something else. So, right. Yeah. And you, how, how did you first get started? Your first property that you bought, when was it? How did you get started? Oh, well. Did you use straight, did you use all cash? Did you use loans? I mean, there's a lot of people that don't have any properties, right? They might just have a yeah. private residence or they might just be renting. And they're looking to get into this yeah. wonderful world of real estate, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, so when I first started, um, when we were buying houses, because I, I had a marketing and sales background. So um, so when I learned real estate, um, I wanted to find a niche, right? right. So I thought, you know what? Um, I had uh, um, taken a class uh, for my realtor's license about, um, uh, I, didn't, I don't even remember what the name of the uh, of the, the badge or whatever it is, but it's, it's starting about, yeah, it's a certification and, and you, you learn about affordable housing, first time home buyers, that sort of thing. And then I started learning about the community redevelopment agencies and how they'd have money um, for, you know, for homeowners, for down payment assistance and that sort of thing. So I thought it was an, an interesting thing because I, I always did like the aspect of making money and helping people at the same time. It's just always been part of what I, what I do. So, um, so the first house that we uh, came across, um, it was actually an REO. Um, it was a bank owned property. And I knew the REO agent. I had met him um, at a networking event. And so we went out to look at the property. Of course, 
we didn't have the money. My partner and I didn't have the money to buy the house. Uh, we weren't cash investors at that time. And uh, I mean, I was, I was a real estate agent making like maybe 80 grand a year, something like that, just starting out, you know? So what we did find though is, is leveraging other people's money. So uh, I'm down with OT, you know, what is it? Other OPM? Other people. So we had a couple of investors and what these guys, the, the relationship that we created is that we would source and find the houses. We would find the client already that's going to buy it, that has the down payment assistance and everything. And these guys were investors and rehackers. And they were like, this is perfect. We'll put up the money. And I think they actually even used other people's money as well, not even right. their own money. But we'll put up the money. We have the expertise in doing rehabs. We'll do the rehab projects. You already have the buyer. You know, when you're rehabbing a, a property, if you already know you got it sold, that just makes the business so much more lucrative and you can afford to buy more and more houses because they went back to their money guys and said, look, these guys have a list of people now. Right. So I don't know. We, we started with the first house. It was in Fort Lauderdale. Um, she was a single mom uh, and a teacher, which was my mom. So that kind of meant something to me at the time too. And that's why I'll always remember it. I'll never forget. And, um, and, and, you know, also not only getting her into a good mortgage that didn't have a, you know, adjustable <laughs> rate, but the down payment that we gave her, like she, she cried when she saw what her monthly payments were going to be and what we were able to get for, because we got money from Fort Lauderdale. We got money from uh, bank of America and we got money from the, the community redevelopment agency. So, um, and her son was also special needs. So it was just a great, you know, situation. They don't always work out, you know, like that, but, but in this situation it was, so that was our first house and we got momentum and, and got things really going by 2002, three, four. Um, and then 2005, I was in Oakland park and, um, and my ex business partner, um, uh, my business partner at the time, we, uh, were, were looking at a, I think it was, um, 84 units in Oakland park. Um, it used to be a part of a uh, 168 units, uh, and they, they divided the, the property line and this, this, um, 86 units over here already got, um, redeveloped into condos. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had uh, met a um, developer that was a uh, converter developer, um, Fwing Development, and he became the largest um, developer uh, um, for condos in the, in the, you know, in the state of Florida. We'd buy, you know, uh, uh, multifamily rentals and then he'd convert them into condos. So I started working with them as well, consulting with them, sales and, and marketing, but then started thinking, wow, that's a great business to be in. So. The next big project that we tried to get into uh, was like 2006 um, is when we started, you know, contracting this property, doing a seller finance deal uh, with the owner because he owned it free and oh, clear. This guy, Bobby, I'll never forget him. He was a nut job, uh, but he loved me because I also um, fight um, and, and did golden glove boxing and, and he had the, the trophies up and everything. So he and I really hit it off. Um, I uh, educated him on what a seller financing deal is, where you <laughs> act as the bank, right? You own it 100%. So well, when you're basically selling it. selling it to me. There's an at 4.5%. You're getting give me a loan. Yep, exactly. I think it was 4.5%. We were buying it at, at uh, $5 million. A lot of people would kill for that. Oh, yeah. man. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was, it was an incredible deal. We, we were both going to walk away. You're getting what, six in the I'm getting No, I'm getting six flat. Oof. Right. That's, so that's good now. Yeah. I mean, now, yeah, and the feds are going to raise rates, what, in May and then I think in May, July. Yeah, yeah. And this was on an investment. This wasn't even on like a residential Right, which property. is normally a higher interest rate. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, right now, I, I you know, I, I get pretty good rates because I have a, a good track record, but still, you know, I'm, I'm you know, my lenders are at, like at 8%, you know, on investment properties. But so we, we got it in contracts, um, got all the way to, you know, getting all the money together. 
he and I were both going to walk away with almost a million bucks each. I mean, it was like, you know, calling the family, like, I can't believe it, you know? And then uh, the market crashed and we literally, within a couple of days um, in, in 2007, I don't remember the exact date, but we met Bobby at uh, at a at a diner up in uh, up in Broward um, in the Oakland Park, and he's first thing he said when we sat down, he says, "You're not buying my property, are you?" Because the con the the, the <laughs> development behind us that was identical that they had converted to condos and they were selling them at like 160 thousand, you know, a door. Right. We were we're buying these things at like you know 30 40 thousand dollars a door. They uh, they lowered their price to like a hundred and ten thousand dollars and then to ninety thousand. I mean, so we were priced out of it. So luckily, we got out of the deal. We did spend some money on it, but all of the other projects and everything we were working on, we just lost everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very important that like uh, people know OPM, right? Other people's money. Because <laughs> it's kind of how you have to make money before, you know, you have your own. Right? Yeah. And not, you know, you might not have the access to private lenders or private hedge funds or people who are just willing to give you money, but use your credit. You go to a bank. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to buy an investment property. Um, normally it's 20% down payment minimum yep. or 25%, depending on the bank and the loan program. Yep. But I've seen, I mean, your primary residence is an investment too, right? So. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is too, there's all kinds of different ways. And again, it's knowledge and education right, to, exactly. to, to know how to, how to leverage those things. You know, I remember raising money the first time I, I raised, um, I raised $500,000 after this was after the crash. And yeah. um, when I got into wholesaling in 2010, um, 11 is when I started raising uh, uh, money to, to start wholesaling and, and doing rehabs again. And uh, I remember we had my buddy's uh, condo uh, association. He knew the, the manager and the president. And they, they're all friends. So they let us use the, the extra room that they do meetings and stuff in for free. We went to Publix and got some like cheese, you know, platters right. and free platter thing, whatever. <laughs> Low budget productions, man. We had a whiteboard. We didn't even have paperwork to give people. We just had a whiteboard. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're drawing out our business plan, you know, and we raised $500,000 that way. You know what I tell people is that, you know, the, the, the answer is always the same if you don't ask. Yeah, of course. No. Yeah. Right. So you have to get out there, put yourself out there, get some people to believe in you, go to your friends and family, see if you can raise some money. And, and obviously you can leverage money. You know, I, I didn't understand that in the very beginning. Now a half a million dollars, I can create, you know, a, a $5 million worth of purchasing power from that. Right. right? So it's just a way of, of getting that knowledge and raising, you know, raising money that way. But that's how we, you know, kind of got started out with yeah, absolutely. other people's money. Yeah. I mean, but other people's money, right? I mean, and, and for someone that makes 60, 70, 80,000, $50,000 a year, yeah, they need the help. They need help. Well, right? So if, if you save money, I mean, you can have a down payment for a bank. Even if you can't raise other people's money. Yep. Um, and you know, it's okay to use a bank, right? Interest rates are high, not as high as a private loan. Yeah. Uh, but still that's going to help you start. Right. And that's how, that's how everyone gets in the game. Unless you're, you know, from a rich yeah. parent that gives you a million dollars. Most of the more successful, larger, you know, investors that I've met over the years, um, almost none of them use their money. I, I have hard money lenders that don't use their money. Yeah, <laughs> it's always about using someone else's money, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what was the biggest pain in the ass deal you've ever done? And please don't say it was one of our deals. Oh, my God. I, I know we've had a couple of pain in the ass deals, but... Uh... Um, well, actually, uh, I'll tell you um, I'll tell you about one recently because there's a hundred of them. Um, but um, we, had this, uh, we had this guy... Uh, well, this was actually about a year ago. So we had this guy... Um, I'll just give his first name, William. Oh, he had a townhome. He, he, had, to, he uh, has a name drop if you don't want. <laughs> well, there's a lot of Williams out there. 
Uh, I won't say his last name, Pepper. No. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but uh, but he had a, a townhome. Um, he was um, uh, behind in his HOA payments. So when you live uh, at a, Which at is a home, home association, right? There's payments that you make monthly. It could be two hundred dollars a month. Right. And if you don't make that payment, they can foreclose on you and take your property. Right. A lot of people don't understand that they either. Don't. You lie at, at a homeowner association. So he had this townhome, and um, he was behind on his payments um, to the tune of about $12,000. Um, he had an attorney. He had actually gone through three attorneys, red flag. Uh, he went through three <laughs> attorneys that were postponing uh, the foreclosure uh, with the HOAs. Because HOAs... When you have a foreclosure, you have a, a bank foreclosure and a, and a homeowners association foreclosure. The bank foreclosure, even though that's a you know billion dollar institution, they are big, dumb, and slow, and yeah. they're not here locally. You take their time. You know, Bank of America hires attorneys out of like Tampa and Orlando, and then those big guys hire their, the junior attorneys out of Miami to go and actually appear in court. So, I mean, the paper trail and everything, it takes a long time. I tell homeowners, if you're behind on your HOA payments, you better deal with that first because they can literally walk down to the courthouse yeah. and file the paperwork, yeah. you know? So, he's behind about $12,000. Um, his sale is on a Wednesday. We are at his house on Monday night at 9 o'clock. Oh, my God. And we're like, listen, here's how it works. We're going to put your property in contract to purchase from you. He had equity. He was going to walk with $150,000. I think we were we were buying at 280, um, and uh, and these things sell for like 450. So we're still getting a, a good deal on this, um, and he had done some improvements and everything himself too. So there wasn't a whole lot that we we're going to have to do. And plus, it's a townhome. We don't have to do roof. We don't have to do the outside. Really, that's right. that's the homeowner association takes care of that. It's just interior work. So Monday nine o'clock. Um, I get a call from my acquisition guy and, and he's like, I, I just left William's house. He's arguing with me now. He wants more money. He's <laughs> not going to do it. I'm like, is this guy out of his mind? He's going to lose his he's property. He's going to lose it on Wednesday. He's going to lose $150,000 on Wednesday. For right? being selfish. Grand, um, for $12,000. For being selfish. Yeah. So, and he said, but I feel really bad because when I left, there was a, 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 a lady um, and he said this little short lady that, that came in and she was making an offer to him as well. We weren't the only ones. She right? wasn't been public Hispanic. record, right? She was probably Hispanic. She was, she was Hispanic. And, uh, and he was yelling at her and berating her. Like, I mean, my acquisition guy was like, I didn't want to leave. Cause I was kind of like worried about this lady. Like this guy's yelling so loud. Well, he says, wait a second, hold on. William's calling me right now. So he clicks over. He says, I'm headed back to the property. He changed his mind again. I'm like, all right. Go and tell him this is the last time we're not coming back tomorrow. We get him signed up. It's 1030 at night now. I, everything's good. Um, I, the next day, Tuesday, I, I, we literally, you know, wire the money um, to, or we, we took a check to the clerk of courts, paid off the $12,000. They canceled the sale the next day. And now this guy says, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not moving out. You know, I'm not <laughs> doing the deal. Well, do you, do you have my $12,000? No, but I'm just not selling you my property. Now. Well, yeah, actually you are. <laughs> so you don't know it yet. You know, you don't know it yet. So he gets an attorney. Um, we find out throughout this process that this guy has, has had, I don't know how many lawsuits. I mean, there was literally the judge mentioned like a list of them, including some of his siblings. He's a scammer. Wow. Yeah. And he's lost all of them. So meaning the, the judge now knows that this guy just gets an attorney just to get an attorney says, I'm going to sue you, but has no merit to his case. Right. You guys know as lawyers, anybody can really get a lawyer and start to sue somebody. Yeah, they want, yeah, but, anything, yeah. You know? so, uh, so six months go by, we're fighting with this guy. Meanwhile, you know, we still have this property, he's still living in it. We put up the $12,000. 
Now he says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll agree to this, but I need some relocation money because I need to move out first before we do the sale. I need my first last of security. So we start even, you know, the good heart me, you know, I start feeling bad for this guy because he is, you know, he doesn't have anybody, you know, and, and, uh, um, and so I was like, all right, I'll help you relocate. So we, we gave him some more money to relocate. It's like another $15,000. And, uh, and now his lawyer says, well, he wants to sell the house himself and then he'll give you guys the money. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay. Well, how, I don't know how that's going to work. That means I don't get to buy it. I don't get to rehab it, but it's been no, six but months. But you get your money back. Yeah. At least I get my money back. And, and, uh, we had costs and things. We obviously, you know, we, we put our attorney's fees and everything on top of that. So he goes to sell the house to this couple. This poor couple from New York, they have the day before closing, they literally have a U-Haul truck down the street from the property at a hotel because the next morning when they close, they're, they're going to move in. Right. He cancels the deal on it. Oh my gosh. Wow. You know, I don't know how he got away with it, but somehow he canceled the deal. And they basically just gave up and said, we're going back to New York. So finally we our attorney we filed a, a, a motion and um we got heard uh in in front of the judge and the judge was hearing all this and was just like this guy is out of his mind i see all of these lawsuits on here and he's like you know mr so-and-so um you know you're you're now not only are you selling this property but you are vacating the property as well and he's there with one of his neighbors and she's telling him like what to say and they're talking on the zoom and you guys know judges don't appreciate that no, at all definitely no. not and i mean this judge was like getting like to the point that he said i i've never heard a judge say this before i even talked to my attorney my attorney said i've never heard this either and the judge said if you don't stop talking right now and do what i'm telling you to do i'm sending an officer to your house and you're going to be placed under arrest and you're coming to my jail we were just like it'd be a little pets <laughs> So this guy, we finally get the paperwork done. We get all the title work and everything done. And now he says, I'm not leaving. I'm staying in this place. So now we have to do a writ of possession. We have to do an eviction. <laughs> Fast forward another month because that process takes a while, yeah. right? This is now we're into this thing for like nine, 10 months. Another month goes by. We finally meet uh, this one morning. It's a Wednesday morning. And we have two sheriff's deputies. These guys are dressed like SWAT team. They're not joking around. And I, and I loved it too, because the dude's like, he's got all the tats and everything. And he's just looking aggressive. I'm like, yeah, yank this dude out of this house, you know? Well, he, part of his lawsuits, he had a, he had a, um, they had restraining orders. The, the poor landscaper guy, um, Jose, he, I literally talked to this guy. He came out and attacked him once. We think he had maybe schizophrenia or something. He came out and attacked the, the landscaper one time because he said he's poisoning his bushes or something. So the landscaper had a, had a um, uh, what do you call it, a restraining order. Uh -huh. The manager had a restraining order against him. When we went to, 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 to witness the eviction, I'm not kidding you, it was like a drive-in movie theater. There were three or four cars lined up with people in them, like they're eating popcorn waiting for this guy to get Because <laughs> they were so dumb. No, everyone was interested in oh the drama. Oh my gosh, yeah, they're everybody. At that yeah. So he's at the window, he's talking to these guys. We found out that he declared bankruptcy that morning. He had an attorney declare bankruptcy wow, as if that's going to protect him. More, man. Yeah. Wow. Well, that didn't protect And the sheriff's department is talking to him through the window and they're like, just come outside so we can talk. They just want to get him outside so they can get him out and he won't come outside. Well, we start filming 
one of my business partners is, is taking the camera and start filming and he gets all like, you know, flustered, right? So he comes out of his house and says, I'm gonna check the mail and now he's filming us. He gets to his mailbox, one deputy goes to the door, the other one goes to the sidewalk waiting for him to come back. He gets halfway and he stops and he, I've made a mistake here. You can, you can just see the gears in his head thinking like, I should have never walked out of my place because I'm not getting back inside. So, um, so they, they didn't arrest him because uh, he agreed to grab like a computer, his wallet, like a couple different things like this. And, um, and then we, according to the law, we had to take all of his possessions, put them right outside of the guard gate of the HOA in this big grass area, which we did. And um, he came and got some of his stuff, but didn't get that much um, stuff. And, and uh, we got the place cleared out. And uh, we, we finished, you know, some finishings inside, paint, that sort of thing, put it up, sold at retail, um, made really good money. He only ended up walking away with, I think, at the end, um, with, with less than $100,000. I mean, just, just for, for no reason. Bring all those games, man. Played all those okay. games. But that was a difficult deal just because of the, the time that it took, it took like a lot the of frustration of dealing with this yeah, person. I mean, you know, and then hearing like the heartache of this couple that came, like, well, I felt bad for these people that, you know, from New York, yeah. you know, so... But I, there's a lot of difficult deals that we do. And, and sometimes the difficulty is not really, you know, a complaint that it's difficult, but it's, it's just the, 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 the situation, right? So we had a, a probate that actually um, Steve did um, for Ralph Robertson. Oh, um, yeah. Jesus. And this poor guy, he was adopted. He had no family. Um, he has the, he's 42 years old. He has the mind of a 10-year-old, um, the maturity of a 10-year-old. Right. Um, I mean, I think so do we sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends if we're a happy hour or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the challenge there was that we, he literally had no one to help him. So we had to help him. And this was a gentleman, like, he doesn't know how to shampoo his hair. Like, it, it, like those, that kind of thing. So we had to, to get um, a state agency involved. Um, we actually helped him relocate. We went up there. My whole team went up there. We drove him to his new place. Um, we, we got him a... Um, a rental, um, a temporary rental, and uh, got him some, I went and bought him some clothes and we got him groceries. And the funniest thing was, is I bought him this really nice, like comfortable jumpsuit. Cause the guy, he's a big guy, six foot two, like 300 pounds. He just sits around the house all day. He doesn't have a TV, he's watching his phone. He was most excited when we relocated him to be able to have a television. Cause he f had a television for the first time in years. His television was broke. He had lived in that house since he remembers. He says, I, I've been there since I was 11 years old, which is the year he got adopted. Um, and, uh, and I bought him this really nice jumpsuit and he looked at me and he was like, Oh, he's like, wow, Ryan, that's really nice. But I only wear shorts and just walked away and was like, oh, I, I guess he's not going to appreciate the nice clothes that I bought this guy, you know, but, uh, but that wasn't, you know, I look at it, it was a difficult deal, but it was so rewarding in the end because we improved that guy's life. He, I mean, his house was rat infested. I mean, mold. It, I, I don't know how he was still living because when I walked in that house, we had to have masks on. That's how bad it was. So getting him relocated, and it wasn't a, you know, we didn't make hundreds of thousands of dollars on this deal. You know, it was one, it was actually one of the lowest profits that we've had of this year so far, but I'm totally fine with that because it was such a win-win and getting this guy relocated and getting him the help that he needed. I, you know, I love, I love things like that. So. Yeah, and that, that was a double whammy, man. We had probate and uh, you had a, a short sale that one too, and there right? was Yeah, and there was a short sale as a foreclosure yeah. on that one too. It was, it was not easy, but, you know, we got the best probate attorney in South Carolina here. <laughs> that, so. That's what they say, so. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how much he charges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to edit that out, right? You know? <laughs> yeah.
we have some questions coming in, some quick Q and A's if uh, now's a good time. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Sure. So uh, first question, uh, what are some common challenges that real estate service providers face when working with clients and how can they address some of those issues effectively? I'll let you answer. Advice for the realtors and the real estate lawyers out there. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you answer since you're on. So that. service providers, do they mean? I'm talking about, I'm talking about realtors and talking about real estate agents. Oh, so just kind of managing your network and your team? That are managing these portfolios. Okay, okay. Well, you know, the, the reality is, is that um, coming, you know, getting your network built up is, is, is a learning experience too. I mean, I'm sure, how long have you been doing uh, um, real estate for, for probate, I think? 10 years uh, as an attorney, 10 years, but in the, in the industry, like right. 12. Okay. So in 12 years from today, from when you started, are you working with all the same people? No, exactly. No, definitely. Right. Not. You learn, you know, who's the people you want to work with. Who's the people you don't want to work with. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that if you, if you look at people, you know, don't try to invent the wheel. If you look at people that are already successfully doing it um, and usually, you know, trying to, to kind of align yourself with the right people, using the same service providers. I mean, I had a, a business partner that I was doing, you know, some deals with. He introduced me to Steve and now Steve is my probate attorney. You know, if he minds his P's and Q's and keeps his rates where they're at, 12 years from now, he might still be my probate attorney. And keep posting happy hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, and I, so I think that's, that's, you know, part, part of, uh, you know, the important aspect of building a network is that just knowing that you align yourself with the right people, you see who you, you, gel with you know there's some people that you start yeah, working with people you trust you just yeah people you trust maybe yeah. there's some people you just don't really vibe with or maybe they they're not on the same you know feeling i've had people that i've done real estate deals and they're like oh it, it doesn't matter we can tell them that they don't have equity and stuff and i'm like no you're trying to rip these homeowners off i don't do business that way yeah so you know regardless of how successful that person was just because you make a lot of money doesn't mean you're successful you know you want people that have a good reputation do your research you know, when, when you find someone, obviously, you know, we had several referrals, you know, from Steve, we had several people saying, this guy's the guy. And we, and we knew because they had done enough business, you know, and he's been in business long enough, but I've had other times where, you know, I've got people right now that I'm, I'm trying out for different things, different aspects of real estate. And, um, and so, you know, you, you keep people at a certain, you know, keel, I'll give, you know, I've got a new buyer that I'm trying out. So I sent them one deal. Right. Right. I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket. Let's try them out and see how they do. And then, you know, go from there. Yeah. They got to so, gain your trust. Yeah. They have to gain your trust. Yeah. yeah. man, you got to be able to have dinner with somebody you do business with, you know, that, that's, that's how I, you know, look at that. Yeah. yeah. Even if they eat all the potatoes. Before yeah. Even if they dive in head first <laughs> into on, a bowl man. of potatoes. You have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I met Ryan was at a happy hour event and we had dinner after it at the same restaurant. Morton's. At Morton's, right. And we were eating, it was like 10 of us, we were eating family style. Well, no, but wait, wait, you gotta go back a little bit. So this is like an important happy hour. It's not that. There was like a hundred people there. And then usually after we do these happy hours, we always get like a table of like 10 or 12 people. We invite like our VIPs. And he was one of our VIPs. This guy drove up like a VIP. <laughs> this guy was taking me around and telling everybody I'm the guest of honor and stuff. I'm like, I was just there, I thought for a network. Yeah, event, I was but... telling everyone, man, this guy drove from Tampa to be <laughs> he here. Did. So we ordered the food. The potatoes come and, and, and the then steaks uh, come out, the sides come out. You know, they sit, they serve sides, you know, in this thing with a spoon. Right. So that, you know, when you get it to the next person, you can put it on your plate, then that next person, you know. That family style. 
And I, I asked Yeah, but Steve, no Ricky. I'm like, no Ricky. That's I'm, like, not true. I'm like, hey, you know, we're sitting at this long table. And I asked Steve, I'm like, hey, does anybody have the, the mashed potatoes? Where's the mashed potatoes? And I looked down at the end of the table. Now, in his defense, he did say there were witnesses that said he asked, does anybody else want potatoes? And nobody answered. Yeah. I didn't hear him. But yeah, then I see this eye. guy grabbing the whole thing with the big spoon and man, he's coming to town with those potatoes. They looked really good. Still to this day, I have not been able to eat potatoes at Morton Steakhouse. I'm not saying it's because of you. I'm just saying. Hey, I asked. Yeah. Nobody wanted. Yeah. And I was already eating part of that. I was like 12 drinks in. So I think I need no excuse, man. No yeah. Excuse. Yeah. I mean, they were really good, though. Yeah. But the answer to that question is, is uh, yeah, try to find people that you trust. Build your network slowly. Um, align yourself with people that, that you know are already working with that service provider, um, whatever they do, and, and uh, make sure that you're, you know. Having yeah, the same goal in mind. Having the same the goal, same having that alignment of, of what, you know, what, the, what the end results are, so, yeah. What are some ways to build trust and rapport with clients? Hmm. For me, it's being genuine and honest. Is it? I yeah, think, I, I think it's like, very simple for me. I mean, yeah, you have to be genuine. You have to have a, an actual passion or interest in, in what you do. And yeah, you got to build trust. I mean, you got to be honest. I mean, people, like you said, people, I mean, I don't like to do business that way either, where if I'm trying to rip someone off or I'm going to tell them your house is worth this and I'm going to give you this or yeah. in any, in any outside of real estate, in any manner, I don't, I don't, I don't function. Like exactly. That. Yeah. Let me tell you something about the power of, I don't know. A lot of people, everyone always wants like a guy, right? Somebody that will solve the problems, you know, that's why they call us. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's why they call us. But I mean, we earned that, right? Like, not everybody knows everything. Even the people that are super knowledgeable don't know anything or don't know everything, rather. So if you're able to tell someone, look, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. I feel that builds a level of trust instead of, you know, giving some, you know, bullshit answer, you know. Uh, I teach that in my in my mentoring. So I've I've had students where I remember I was coaching um, one of my students one time, and and he said, man, he said this homeowner asked me this question, and I, he said I didn't know the answer, so I just kind of bullshitted him. I said, well, that was the dumbest thing yeah. you could have done. I've actually been. I remember this one time. I was um, knocking on doors. Um, I've knocked on thousands of doors, and uh, and I was inside this home, and uh, the wife, her sister were on the couch. I was sitting in this chair. And the husband had just gotten home. And he had a, a shirt on that had his name on it. So you could tell he was a blue collar, hard worker. I think he was a mechanic or something. And you could tell immediately from the guy, he's one of those non, no nonsense, no bullshit guys. And so they're sitting there and they're asking me questions about the short sale, right? Because they need a short sale. I'm, I'm trying to give them the knowledge and show them that I'm the, I'm the right guy for the job. And as they ask me all these questions, I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, ask, keep asking me questions. I'm answering these things like, sad, like this ain't nothing, you know? And I look over at the husband and I kind of just got an, a, a, a sense from him that he's like, oh, this know-it-all kid. Like, who is this guy thinking he's all cocky and yeah. this kind of thing? And obviously, he's already embarrassed a little bit because he's facing a foreclosure. He's not making payments on his mortgage. The next question they asked me, I said, you know what? That's a really good question. And I don't ever want to give you the wrong answer. I will never BS you. But I can get that answer for you and I'll have that answer by tomorrow. I swear the guy's demeanor totally changed. He leans forward in the chair. He's like, so Ryan, that's the first time he even said my name. So that triggered right there and told me that's something of, you know, of use. Now, I don't go out and necessarily do that on purpose just to gain people's trust. Right. But I tell my students, you know, don't, don't tell people if you don't know. Don't the be answer. afraid. Sometimes the, the best thing is to say, I'm, I'm not yep. going to bullshit you. And that's how I gain trust from, from my, I don't call them clients, my, my homeowners, but... Um, 
That's how I gain trust is making sure. And this is the other thing too. Be true to your word. Don't tell someone, I'm going to call you tomorrow at noon and then call them at six and be like, oh, I just got really busy and stuff because you could have called them probably at noon unless you were in the hospital or something, yeah. or, you know, whatever. So when I, when I do that with my homeowners in the very beginning, uh, and this would, you know, go to how you, you know, gain trust from your clients is when I tell someone I'm going to call you tomorrow at noon, I set an alarm at 11.55 and no matter what, I'm calling that person at noon and then I tell them, see, I told you I'd call you at yeah, noon. Yeah, do what you're going to say. 100%. So after you do that a couple of times, you build neural pathways in people's minds to say, hey, every time Ryan tells me something, he's a man of his word. Yeah, and, and even in my personal life, my family, you know, my girlfriend, like everybody knows, I will kill myself to make sure that I come tried and true and say and do what I say I'm going to yeah. do. So don't, you know, and that, that's the other goes back to the same principle of do not overpromise and underdeliver. Right. That's another important thing. So that's right. Um, Obviously, 1031 exchanges um, are pretty complicated subjects. Uh, how could real estate service providers effectively explain it to a client? Easy answer is call us. And, uh, I mean, look, it's very simple. Let's say you're selling this water bottle for $100, right? And you want to buy this water bottle. But when you sell this, you have to pay taxes when you sell it, right? The problem is you're able to do not pay taxes when you sell this and buy something else. Right? So let's say you're selling this water bottle for $100 and you bought this for $200. Within certain timelines and everything, yes, and laws, but you can avoid, not avoid, but defer the taxes on selling this water bottle by buying this water bottle. Mm. Right? So you can roll over everything and not pay any taxes on this and buy this. And pretty simple. That's, 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 I mean, we could use Legos if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any Legos with me. I mean, it's, it's just, just imagine these are properties, right? You're selling a property, you want to buy a property, and you, people don't think about taxes when you sell something. Right. When you sell anything, but specifically real estate property. So when you sell real estate property, you're going to have to pay taxes unless you do what is called a 1031 exchange, right? And then you can defer taxes. Well, obviously, the incentive for that is, is you know, saying, hey, keep your money. Right. In the United States market. And, and when you, like, let's say these are rental properties instead of water bottles, <laughs> that, uh, that other rental property is going to be, you know, paying taxes right. and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it, I actually had, um, I had one uh, opportunity a long time ago that I almost did a 1031 exchange. The person that we had doing our 1031 exchange had no idea what they're doing, screwed it up. <laughs> I don't know what the, the, the time frame was, but it, we just didn't act and, and, and quickly enough. But we had a property. It had three different houses on the one lot, um, even though it wasn't even zoned for multifamily, but it had been run that way forever. And High um, special. Yeah, exactly. We were utilizing that to purchase. We were going to purchase another 28-unit um, building and um, it just, it all fell apart. And then the purchase to the 28 unit building never, never happened. So, um, so I, I haven't been able to do my, my first successful 1031. Well, I mean, I'll be doing that for, with for you the, guys. For the most part, uh, you know, you, you do a lot of like fix and flips, rehabs. Yeah, I'm, I'm a wholesaler. So I'm, right. I'm cash and carrying. Yeah, so you know, so the 1031 exchange doesn't apply to yep. wholesalers or yep. flippers or dealers. It implies to investors, but which is the field you want to get into, right? So where you yep. want to invest into multifamily so you can retire and, yep. and have that monthly income. And then you can do 1031. Yep. I probably should have talked to you guys first, but uh, when the rental market came up so much over the last year, um, well, I was about I, to say 25 years ago, you couldn't talk to me because I was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about this last year. I, I sold, uh, I sold my, I had five rental properties and I sold all of them and you paid I tax. couldn't pass it up. You paid tax. Yeah. Like I, put, I put that money into cryptocurrency. Oh <laughs> man. I hope it wasn't um, FTX. 
No, it wasn't All FTX. Right. It wasn't FTX. I'm, I'm hoping that, that things are, are looking <laughs> better. You know, we'll, but you got to we'll pay the tax. That's the yep. problem. I got to pay the tax. There's always a Rather question. Pay it now or pay it later. Yeah, there's there's, there's always a question we get of, oh, but what if I want to take out my money and, and invest in crypto or invest in art or whatever it means, stocks? There's a way to do things, you know, like the smart way, right? the, the tax savvy way, which is what we know, right? So in your case, if you wanted to invest in crypto or stocks, whatever it may be, you sell those properties, you do a 1031 exchange, you buy new properties, you defer the taxes, right? Then you do what we call a cash out refinance, right? You take a loan on that property you bought, you pull out some of the equity and there's your money, right? To right. play with. There's your, yep. your money to play with. Yeah. You're not paying tax on that money. You're paying interest. Interest is less than tax. Sure. Especially capital gains tax. Right. Right. So that's the real way to do it is, is you sell a property, you do a 1031 exchange, you defer the taxes. And if you want money to play around with, pull a mortgage on your property. Take, yeah. take out the money. You pay interest, but don't pay taxes. Yep. Yeah. And on your rehabs, you could do it too. You know, you, you, you identify something and maybe it's a real clunker, right? And it's going to take time to build it up. You know, if you hold it for at least a year and a day, you know, ideally two, you could sell that bad boy, you know, and then you could buy, you know, one, two, three, you know, potential rental properties yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, get some income that way. So yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. It's a great tool. What are some key business strategies that realtors, real estate agents, uh, real estate attorneys got gotcha. you education? I mean, uh, specifically when we're talking about real estate property and agents and attorneys, I think it's super important that they educate their clients. Um, and which is one of the reasons why we're doing this because you have, well, first off, you have no idea how many realtors or real estate attorneys do not know, not even what a 1031 exchange is more or less well, anything about taxes. Right. Right. So, and like we were talking about before, many homeowners just buy and they don't care about anything else. Right. Whether it's an investment or whether it's a primary residence, they just buy it as long as I can afford it for now. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important that they, they learn and they get, use their knowledge to educate their clients. Uh, specifically, that's going to gain trust. Uh, you're going your client's going to see that you have their best interests out in mind, um, and that for me, that's very important for them. Yeah. To do. And and part of the question too is what strategies. You know, it's it's interesting because um, there's all types of different. You know, I, I if I look at the spectrum of people that I know in real estate, um, people are doing different things, right? Yeah. Not everybody's doing the exact same thing. Yeah. I think that the reality is is that you find niche something that that you like to do something that you have some kind of passion for a little bit um you know i i, I don't think it's like i used to be a music producer so that's my real real passion i'm not as passionate about real estate as i am about the music industry but i still have passion about what i do and helping homeowners and that sort of thing so find your niche find something that interests you right. um you know because it, 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 you're not going to learn and, and be you know uh, become successful in something if it doesn't interest you literally to have some passion in it Right, yeah, it's not uh, going to care about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And then, like you said, you know, as a strategy, arming yourself with knowledge um, is much more important than, you know, than probably, you know, I know a lot of real estate agents think, oh, well, let me get my Instagram up and show the right car, right. the right, you know, this yeah. and that and everything. You get my TikTok going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's less important than just arming yourself with the knowledge that you know that you need in, in order to be able Cause, to. Because knowledge is power. Absolutely. What what avenue you're in, I mean, knowledge is power, and it builds trust. Yeah. Because if you have a client, if I have a client or if, if someone comes to me in a realtor and they're going to teach me something, I don't know, I'm all ears. Yeah. I'm ears. Yeah. I'm ears. You're going to teach me, you're going to go out of your way, you're going to teach me something that you know that I don't know. I yeah, you become their, their go-to. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was just about to say, yeah, knowledge builds trust. Yeah. yeah. Where do you find that 
by calling one eight seven seven. You know, it's interesting because today, you know, I I, I went through um, college. I graduated high state university, um, and I remember. Uh, don't shake your head, man. Yeah, you, they rob us of a championship. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember. Um, you know, back in the day with LexisNexis, which a lot of people don't even know about, is is um, is was an on, sort of an online first online system, and uh, and I remember taking the class one day about you know what is the internet, and the internet was developed because of all of the underground um, communications that the military had built to to transfer information. That's really what you know what they they started using. They started using that network. So knowing that you know before you know before way pre-internet. Uh, and now, fast forwarding today, and now you have things like YouTube, right, uh, where people go to, to which is, there's there's a plethora of knowledge on there. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that there's that no person's choice. not tangible. You don't know that person. Like cryptocurrency, I, I follow, you know, blockchain backer, Richard Hart, all these kind of different people. But the people that I really, you know, get my knowledge from are the people in my circle, the people in my network. It's right, the people right. that, if I have a friend of mine that, you know, is buying cryptocurrency and he's doing really well at it, I'm like, okay, so what are you doing? Where are you doing? <laughs> so learning, I think that way. I think, I think the best way to get knowledge is face-to-face. You have to get out there, go to networking events. These guys have a networking event, was it every Friday? We used to have yeah, it once a month. To. Once a month? Yeah. Well, when you're eating potatoes, like it's going out of yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. That costs you more money. I slowed down on the alcohol yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that was too much. <laughs> I think you know, get your knowledge from places that have already sort of have a, a little bit of a proven track record, and knowledge also. The other place that you get knowledge from is trying. You yeah, know, when you try, try and, and fail error. and keep trying trial and error. I, I've learned more about probably my my real estate and what I do and my investing and rehabbing from the mistakes that I made than I ever you know learned from like a contractor or somebody teaching me about you know dimensional shingles versus you know regular yeah i think i think you can learn a lot from youtube and podcasts and and others but trial and error is huge uh for example me and steven went to law school we read the tax code which is why we know a lot about tax law specifically about 1031 exchanges and no one's going to want to read that um but there's so many different instances in which a 1031 exchange applies that we only learn that through application right yeah. we only learn that through trial and error yeah and those are things i mean this is outside of, of 1031 is everything right um, but we learned a lot while practicing, and that's definitely something that's a tool that can be used on our podcast and YouTube is that you're not learning just from a book. You're learning from people who have learned right. trial and error, yeah. right? And who have experienced different things. Yeah. Well, I know you guys are doing it. You're successful at it. You know, so that's, again, you guys, you're, this is my network, right? So yeah. so when I get to a place of doing a 1031 exchange, now I know where to go. Yeah. Um, you know, two, two, three years ago, um, it wasn't exactly the same. We have a... Um, like I said, I'm, I'm president of the National Real Estate Investors Association. We've got 50,000 members across the country, 120 chapters. Um, and we have national speakers that go on, you know, on sort of a tour. They come to the individual RIAs. You know, there's the Chicago RIA, the DC RIA, uh, the Honolulu RIA. There's one in Honolulu. Can I go? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> That's the one I really want to go to. Uh, and and we, we've had, you know, experts and people that come to, to teach, you know, 1031 exchanges and things like that. The problem is, though, is that they're not local. They're not here, right? They're yeah. not here doing it. So you can get some information that way, but you know, real application I think comes from finding people in your network that that you know that do these kind of things where you know people can watch this that are local and need to do a 1031 exchange. They can actually make an appointment, get you guys on the phone, and have a conversation. But right. that's powerful. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. So last question: um, 
At the end of the day, in real estate, what matters? What matters most? I guess I think it depends what you're it's asking. Question, right? <laughs> There's a lot of people that say that money matters most, but it just depends who you're asking. What yeah. hurts and hints to what that answer might be? I've heard uh, pushing through failure. I've heard people, you know, getting the right people around you. Um, I've heard having the passion for it as a process. I think the most powerful thing is is knowledge. I think knowing as much as you can kind of benefits you in every aspect with people with taxes, with how to buy, with how to use other people's money, OPM, with using private loans. I think if you learn all of that, it becomes so much easier. Yep. I mean, if you get to the finish, if your goal is to get to the finish line, that's like the most important thing. Let's finish line. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna encompass all that, right? You're gonna get there because you have the knowledge, because you have the trust from the client. Um, you're gonna have all that, you know? I think too, that, that you know, the two mantras that I, I've always taught in, uh, in my mentor programs is consistency and follow-up. I don't care if you're a real estate agent, if you're an attorney, whoever you are, consistency and follow-up is true keys. I mean, there's no secret sauces when you're wholesaling or flipping properties or buying multifamily. Um, yeah. Consistency and follow-up is, is the key to all of it because you have to be consistent in your business. You know, a lot of people like to put their entrepreneur hat on and then when it becomes the weekend, they take the entrepreneur hat off and it doesn't work that, doesn't way. Work that way. When you're an entrepreneur, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You have to stay consistent with that and you have to build up through time. I mean, luckily for me, I've gotten to a point where I can go take a two week vacation, turn my email off to, I mean, to a certain extent, we're still, you know, slaves of our, yeah, <laughs> of our of business. Um, I keep one eye on it at least, but, but I could do that now. I graduated. I remember the first five years that I got a business and this is something that, any real estate agent that's trying to build their brand, any investor that's trying to build anything, any attorney that's just starting out with his practice, you know, has his little office somewhere or whatever, don't take a vacation for about the first five years. Don't think that you just have, you know, that ability. You have to really, um, to, to really earn that success. There is that grind that you have to have. And everybody, you know, in today's day and age, it's like, I want to get rich quick kind of thing. How can I get into real estate? I'm sure there's people asking those questions all the time. So you guys ask it to me, what can I do right now to become a millionaire in one year? <laughs> it's like, well, you're asking the wrong question yeah. and you're thinking about it the wrong way. Right. You know, the reality is, is that if you were making, even in, in this day and age right now, let's say you're making $300,000 a year. Okay. Which is, is good money. I mean, if somebody has a job that's and they're making $300,000, that's great. Money, Unless you're you know? in New York and you get taxed. Like exactly. That. Exactly. I mean, I want to make more than that. I make more than that. But but three hundred thousand dollars a year. If you were making three hundred thousand dollars a year doing something in real estate that you like to do, that you had passion for, and it satisfied you that way, to me, you could live that for the rest of your life. And I would I would say you're a successful person. It doesn't matter to me that you haven't made millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. It's the fact that you do something that you like, and and you know you've been able to to build something. I mean, and especially and when you look at it, you know how many other countries in the world. Can you develop a business, make $300,000 a year, work from, for yourself? Like that's a dream, you know? So um, I think that the, 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 the bad part is the influence that everybody has on Instagram and everything else. And you've got all- They make it seem so easy. Influencers, they're, oh my gosh, making like a million dollars a month. It's like, that's, you know- They that, make it seem so easy yeah. and that it's so attainable, yeah. but it's a, lot of, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort. Yeah, making money is definitely a marathon, not a sprint, man. That's that mentality. And anything, that's the mentality you right. have to You do. have to be able to yeah. live in the present while yeah. also thinking about the future. Yeah, right? that's one of my favorite sayings too. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Everybody's trying to get it in the now. 
I got a nephew that's 22 years old and he uh, was building his uh, landscaping business. He actually just got um, financing to buy three new zero turn motors, your <laughs> mowers he's so proud of. Um, he's got his truck, he's got his trailer. I'm teaching him how to build up, you know, his, his, uh, his marketing, brand hit a niche. You know, you grew up in the area, these neighborhoods, there's like, you know, 1500 houses within, you know, 10 miles. I'm like, just market to them to say, I would take care of your home as if it was my own, like these kind of things, you know, and building that business. And I told him, I said, you're going to need to grind this thing out. And he's been doing this now for like two years. And he understands now that it, it takes time, yeah. but you know, two, three, four more years, if he keeps going up the rate that he's going, this kid will be, you know, he won't even be 25, 26 years old and he'll be making almost a couple hundred grand a year. So yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's, that's the, you see it a lot with real estate agents too. Um, I think in Florida, like after the first year, 90% of agents are no longer really practicing. There are, I believe, 420,000 real estate agents in the state of Florida. Do you know what the average house, how many houses a real estate agent in Florida sells? One. Less than one. Because basically 98% of those real estate agents don't do anything. Right. Yeah, they're part-time realtors, right? Part-time realtors. Yeah, yeah. So... That's unfortunate. But yeah, but it's it's the thing that they think, like, for example, whether it's that or just investing, they think it's the get rich quick. Oh, it's going to be super easy. Right. It's not. Right. It takes time. It's you got to have consistency yeah. to follow up, you know, 100%. A person doesn't know how much he has to be thankful <laughs> for until he pays taxes on it. I like Unless that. you do a 1031 exchange. <laughs> you don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, uh, Ryan. I appreciate no, you. No, thanks coming. for having me, guys. This, uh, was, this was great. I love I love talking this this you know real estate. Yeah, we want to really educate people and and how to become an investor like you, or how to you know defer taxes and anything, and and learn the ins and outs of real estate and the tax game and and the game of gains and how to play it. Free knowledge, guys. That's the best. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Affiliated Ten Thirty One would like to thank you for watching this episode of the Real Estate and Tax Talk podcast. If you're ready to leverage your gains, you can find us online at affiliated1031.com.